The text for the sermon this morning, our lesson will be found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Also Numbers chapter 20. So Deuteronomy 32 and Numbers chapter 20 is where we'll be looking at today. I'd like to start my sermon this morning with a puzzle. Just wonder who can figure this out. What is it that is greater than God? The same thing is more evil than Satan. And also, we would say that rich people do not have it. But poor people do have it. If you eat it, you will die. The answer? Nothing. I think I heard somebody start to say that. Nothing is greater than God. Nothing is more evil than Satan. Rich people don't have nothing. Poor people, unfortunately, do have nothing. And if you eat nothing, you will die. The puzzle makes sense once you know the answer. But until you know the answer, you find it really confusing. I know I did. And that's the case with our story this morning. Moses is taken to the top of Mount Nebo. And he's told by God, take a look before you die. Because you're not going to get into the promised land. This is all you get to see. You may ask, really? Why? Deuteronomy 32 and verse 51 explains. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. What was that all about? Oh, and by the way, you see, I do paraphrase because I'm one of those ones I do encourage you to read on your own. You know, I, I would like you to be active in reading and so on. So I'm paraphrasing as I go through this. Well, let's go back and let's read the story. Where do we find the story? It shows up in Numbers. That's why I give you a, a parallel. In Numbers chapter 20. And again, I'll paraphrase this story. Most of us are familiar with this, but I'll paraphrase what we're looking at. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses. They quarreled with him and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? All the things that they've seen. Remember, these are the same people that crossed on the Red Sea. They're the ones that saw the Israelites get drowned. They're the ones... Yes, they were the ones that were praying to God to be released from the Egyptian bondage in the first place. They were fed with manna. 
you have to ask as Christians, the country we live in, what we are blessed with, but we still have complaints, don't we? Why did you bring us up, they say, out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, as you would say, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and they fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They, I'm sure, are devastated at what they're hearing. We're talking in James right now, James chapter 3, what your tongue can do. They're devastated, I'm sure, by these words the people are mumbling. Then the Lord said to Moses, take thy staff. You and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen. Basically, he's saying, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you? Must we? Doesn't say God. More or less inferring he and Aaron. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock. I don't remember God saying strike him. Do you? I don't remember him saying strike the rock. No. He struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But now we have a little bit of quarreling on the opposite side. Now God says to Moses, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me, to honor me, as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. Makes us think, do we give praise and honor to God in our lives as Christians? Do we honor Jesus in our lives and the way we live it? God says here, you did not honor me as holy. What had Moses done wrong? First, he got angry with the mob of protesters. Second, he claimed he was getting the water from the rock when it was actually God. And third, he had disobeyed God. God had God said to speak to the rock. Moses struck it with his staff. For that, Moses was refused entry into the promised land, and he died in the wilderness. Some people would say, that's it? That's the whole story? Once, just once, he got mad, he claimed credit, and he disobeyed God? There are individuals that say, oh, just so we're a good person. It doesn't make any difference what we do. Just so we're a good person, God will forgive. Well, God's a loving God. He'll forgive all. But something about this story just doesn't make sense. And I'm not going to believe at that point. Obviously, God does forgive. But there's a whole sense that goes with that, too, that we read of in the scriptures. It's like a puzzle. With a couple pieces missing is what I'm looking at the story. Moses had been leading the people of Israel in, in the desert for 40 years. And for most of those 40 years, I'm sure it was no picnic. These people had been very difficult. I can't even picture the vast amount. You know, we talk about like on the boat, we had a great time with our family. And my mom celebrated her 94th birthday on Friday. And there was only 24. Not everybody could make it. There was about 24 to 28 of us there. 
and it seemed like a large group. Could you imagine the thousands of people that Moses is leading in the desert, feeding? They've complained and they bickered and they've been rebellious. They've insulted Moses. They rejected God's will. And frankly, they basically have been a real pain to work with. But in spite of all that, for almost these 40 years, Moses has been their ideal leader. He seems to actually care for these people. He prays for them. He's reasoned with them. He's even interceded with God for them. At one point, God got so mad with the Israelites that God says, stand back and let me be destroyed, these wicked people. Then we can start over. But Moses refuses, and he intercedes with God to spare them. On top of that, Moses seems to have been one of the few men in Scripture that God personally praises. It's a little verse, and it's in Numbers. And I found it interesting that whoever printed the Bibles, I think it's in your version, in the King James Version, it's in parentheses. It's even parentheses, verse 3 of Numbers 12. In Numbers 12, verse 3, in my book, anyhow, in my Bible, it was in parentheses, it said, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. It's like God was saying that Moses shines so brightly, the rest of the world seemed tarnished. That's high praise from God. So here we have Moses just months away from crossing the Jordan River. Slips up from what I see one time. He loses his temper one time. And he's denied a cross. He's denied the ability to cross into the promised land. Over the years, in Bible studies, sermons have been presented. Many individuals have felt that this just didn't seem fair. That it just doesn't seem right in behalf of Moses. This shouldn't happen to somebody like Moses. And if this were the last chapter of the story, I think we'd all be right. But it's not fair. But this isn't the last chapter, is it? There's more to the story than appears at first glance. We often see in our readings of the scriptures how our God loves to paint pictures. Look in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God repeatedly gives us images that tells us about Jesus and what he'd be like and what he would do. If we look through the law, we see pictures of Jesus in sacrifices. I'm not talking about visual pictures, even though that's true in art. I'm talking about the verbal. As we read the Bible, the images that we can see by reading God's word. Example, if we examine instructions on how we were to construct the tabernacle, you'll find images of how Jesus shows up in all the materials and measurements of each corner. Old Testament stories of their heroes and heroines. These are true stories of individuals. And we'll see how God weaves that truth in such a way that their lives and their stories point to Christ. For example, Abraham offering his only begotten son, Isaac. It was as a sacrifice was a portrait of what God was going to do with his own son. How God would actually offer his own son. And there was nobody there to stop God. Many of the old hymns reflect the truth. Um, there was a hymn written back in the 1800s, from what I understand, Tullus C. O'Kane. Song number 461 in our songbook, titled On Jordan's Stormy Banks. 
On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. We shall rest in the fair and happy land by and by, just across on the evergreen shore. Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and dwell with Jesus evermore. But now, how do we get into heaven? Do we get in by doing good works? Hmm. Hence, James chapter 2 that we've been studying in our Bible study on Sunday morning. Do we get in by obeying the commandments of the Old Testament? Even though these things couldn't hurt, we have to say no. We only get into heaven by following Jesus and what he says. The law, here Moses' law, could not lead his people into his promised land. Only Jesus, the Savior, could do that. Paul wrote in Romans 3 and 20, I'm sure it's a verse that we all are familiar with. Romans 3.20 says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Then we read in Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by, observ by observing or observation of the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. No matter how good we've been, when you stand before God on the day of judgment, you can't put to your point to your own righteousness and accept, expect God to be impressed. Jesus answers that in a question. What shall a man give? What shall he profit? If he gains the entire world, but loses his very own soul. What can we give to God in exchange for our very own soul? Your righteousness won't get you into heaven. Jesus' righteousness will. Obedience to Jesus will. Now let's review. Why couldn't Moses get into the promised land? He said, how many sins did Moses commit? One that we know of. Did you realize that it only takes one sin to keep you out of heaven? That's what God was teaching us here with Moses. It only takes one sin. James 2 and 10. My mom, last week when we were leaving, driving back home, she said, Mark, there was one verse you didn't mention in Bible study, or you didn't really emphasize. And I believe she was referring to James chapter 2. Verse 10, for whosoever shall commit, oh, I'm sorry, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point, he is guilty of all. I'm a math teacher. And it speaks volumes. No more does one equal one. One equals infinity when we're reading the Bible here. I started to blow my mind thinking of that. So don't, don't, don't try doing it because it, it messed me up. <laughs> but when I started thinking about that, you could be correct in infinity minus one. 
But that one that you make a mistake on, wow, put you at a sin of infinity again. Wow. That's what we're saying. How we should examine our lives, and that's what we've been studying, and we know as Christians. Be thou found faithful unto death. Not almost. Not quite. And we've done this before Old Testament. When people were told to go dip themselves seven times. What if they only dip six? Don't think it would work. God says it. It's specific. Marching around the city of Jericho, the wall. Unless they do it exactly how God had planned. Today as Christians, we need to look at that. In our own lives, and that's the message I'm trying to bring out in our own lives. We need to be true to God's word completely. Your righteousness won't get you into heaven. So we have Moses, one of the greatest men who ever lived, a man greatly respected by God, a man who dealt gently with one of the most quarrelsome, difficult people on earth. <coughs> Pardon me. A man who knew the law, he had his ducks in a row, as we would say, but he committed that one sin. And he doesn't get into the promised land as an example. <coughs> Pardon me. Now we ask, how many sins have we committed in our lives? Oh, don't be looking at me. Yes, I'm aware of how many I've committed. It's easy to look at somebody else. Yes, I'm aware. My mother, <coughs> for Pardon me. Far more than anybody my mother would know <coughs> how many sins I've committed. If Moses couldn't get into the promised land because he committed one sin, <coughs> what makes you or I think? that we can get into heaven committing more than that. That's it. I guess basically we would say in football, game over. We may as well go home. But one last thought. Did Moses ever get into the promised land? I'd like to stretch your thought here for a moment. Look with me at Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I don't normally do this. I should have had this ready. All right, Mark. Mm. Oh, if I will look, I do have a half of one up here that I had before. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. Okay. In Matthew 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and they led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Then he was trans figured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So did Moses get into the promised land? I'm going to leave that up to you. How did he get there? We know if he did get there, it's through Jesus. Moses didn't make it because he was a great man. He didn't make it for any other reason 
is because Jesus brought him there. And there's more. When we look, Matthew 17, now verses 4 through 8. Then Peter answers and said to Jesus, look, it is good for us to be here. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But yet we know that while he was that speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. That should not be the focal point, should it? And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw only Jesus. They saw no one else but Jesus. Moses was there and Elijah was there. These were two great men from the Old Testament. Moses was the representative of the law. And Elijah was representative one of the greatest prophets. Peter was amazed and sought out to honor them. But then a cloud came and said, oh no, that is past. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear you him, listen to Jesus. The disciples fell to their knees and when they looked up, they did not see anything else, only Jesus. Moses and Elijah had disappeared in the midst because God was making a point. Look now, look at and listen to Jesus, my son in whom I am well pleased. Moses and his law wouldn't get you into heaven. Elijah and the power of the miracles wouldn't get us into heaven. We need to look at and listen to no one else except Jesus because he is our only hope of salvation. Peter apparently learned this lesson well. In Acts 4 and 12, my final verse this morning. In Acts 4 and 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. I'm sure we run into a lot of people that think differently in our lives. A lot of thoughts out in our world, a lot of changes taking place. Makes me think. How many people, how many times I hear the, the question of, well, is it constitutional to? First, you go back to what those men must have thought when they were making up the Constitution. And if they saw our society today, you know how you get the before and after picture. I always love that, the, the home improvement shows and so on, and the before and the after. But you look at, sadly, Constitution being developed and what the thought was of those men before and now the changes and the after. Some of them may be good, some of them not so much, the before and after. But what do we look at in God's law? I go to Revelation. What does Jesus say near the very end? I always love the beginning. In the beginning, God created. Then we go to the very end, Revelation, right near the end. And it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What? The beginning and the end. 
I always think of my dad whenever we had to have problems. Bill Cosby used to say it too. I brought you into this world, I can take you out. In essence, we can picture my dad saying, yeah, no, my dad saying, um, Mark, as long as you're under this house, you're going to go by these rules. I don't care how old you are. And that's basically what it was. Don't care how old you are. When you're in this house, you're going by these rules. And I understood that. It began with my dad. It ended with my dad. We didn't pass the buck. Why would God need to do that? People say, well, the Bible is so outdated. Well, no, that isn't what the Bible tells us. It's God's word. In the beginning, God started. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning. It's going to begin with me and it's going to end with me. And that is what we look at. And to receive that gift of eternal life, that is what God says to us. We know John 3.16. So God so loved the world. Yes, God has love. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That what though? That whosoever should believe in him, be baptized, live not unfaithful unto death. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's what we look at. That is what I leave you with this morning. If you are in need of the invitation in any means, whether you need to take the steps to become a Christian in the first place, to repent of your sin, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and to be buried with him in baptism, to be forgiven of your sin and walk in newness of life, or you ask for the prayers of the congregation. Whatever our need is, we have the opportunity to come forward as together we stand and sing our song of invitation. <laughs>